Omajina Trinandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshu and Militanyin at Tasmai, Shi Gurave Namaha, Vanchakapadu Bhishcha, Kripasindabhivacha, Patitanam Pamanebhu, Vaishnavijan Mulamaha. So, good evening everyone. Uh, we can begin by chanting. Yeah. Uh, the opening verse from Srila Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbhas, Tatvasandarbha, uh, which is also the reverential verse to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hidden in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam Sangopangastra Parsadam Sangopangastra Parsadam Yajai Sankirtana Prayar Yajai Sankirtana Prayar Yajantihi Sumedasa In the age of Kali, intelligent persons perform congregational chanting to worship the incarnation of Godhead who constantly sings the names of Krishna. Although his complexion is not blackish, he is Krishna himself. He is accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and confidential companions. So we are now at the beginning of the presentation of the Tapas and Dharva, uh, having gone through the Mangalacharna, The opening prayers and statement of purpose and offering of benediction, and with a little bit of a discussion of qualification for one to enter into the subject matter. So now Jiva Goswami proceeds to to set up the basis upon which the seed verse which has been the eight which is the eighth verse of his Mangalacharna um, can be fully comprehended and and expanded upon. He begins by what is actually the proper way of acquiring knowledge, uh, the epistemology of of his work. In other words, he's he's going to present for understanding knowledge based on a particular set of guidelines, a particular standard of knowledge. And he's going to, first of all, convince us through logical presentation the validity of the standard of knowledge which he has selected to use as the basis upon which he arrives at the conclusions of the uh, the ontology of the nature of our being. So, this little section uh, could be referred to as the uh, epistemological validity of the Vedas, the Itihasas, and Puranas culminating in Srimad Bhagavatam. So, before anything can be determined as knowledge, uh, we have to come up with a criteria by which we will accept something as being valid knowledge. 
So in Sanskrit, the word used is pramana. And in Jiva's time, 500 years ago, in his culture, in India, uh, all schools of, of philosophy and theology accepted the Vedas as, as a valid pramana. Now we're going to go through this evening various pramans, looking at them, but at his time, all the different schools in his culture accepted the subda, divine sound revelation of the Vedas, as authoritative, as something that could be accepted as valid uh, in ascertaining knowledge. And Jiva goes a step further than his contemporaries. And he states that we accept the Vedas as the ultimate praman, but it, when looking at the Vedas, we should see what of all the Vedic knowledge, which is very vast, what is the ultimate pramana of all the Vedas. And he sets his sights on Srimad Bhagavatam. Very logically, the Srimad Bhagavatam is the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, which is the compilation of, uh, of the essence of, the, of all the Vedanta Sutra. In fact, any school of, of Vaishnav practice uh, is based upon a mature commentary of, of the Vedanta Sutra. So until, you're, until your Sampradaya has its own commentary, it's not really considered a Sampradaya. Now, in our study of the Tattva Sandarbha and all the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami, we're not in Jiva's time. We're not in his culture. So we have, in our culture, different methodologies have been determined as valid when it comes to determining knowledge. So one would naturally say, well, does Jiva's acceptance of, of Subda Pramana, of divine sound revolution coming from revelation coming from the Vedas, is that even applicable today? It was five hundred years ago. Can we bring it into uh, modern times, and and is it still valid now? Does it stand up as as a as a as a valid means of knowledge? I mean, we have science today. We have Facebook for knowledge, yes. We have so much social media. We have so many colleges and universities with so many departments on so many different subject matters. They all claim that they have valid knowledge. So in this world of knowledge that we have now, the information age, there's nothing we don't have knowledge about. We can have a knowledge about things that really we 
It'd be better if we didn't have so much knowledge. <laughs> Intimate details of people's lives we don't even know. Much let's care about, but they're not there. That knowledge is, is, we're bombarded with that knowledge continually. So knowledge, there's no lack of knowledge. Now, is Jesus' got knowledge going to stand up today is the question. Is his praman of Srimad Bhagavatam, is that a valid method of knowledge for us in the information age? Should we, is there any validity to it at all? It's just a, it's a book of mysticism. It's a book of, of stories from sages of your, what, what, is it going to stand up today? So, we need to look at Jiva's presentation here, especially the Tatvas and Darba, and see, well, maybe, he, maybe let's see if he has some, there's some validity to it. Let's look at it in comparison with our knowledge because we have a, lot, a heck of a lot of knowledge too. So one set of books, one set of, what is it, 18,000 verses? Is that, can that be all the knowledge that's needed for mankind? Can that be the ultimate, ultimate praman or valid reference point for everything that's knowable well, there is one covet here, isn't there? We're looking for a specific thing. Ontology. We're looking for knowledge about our being. So we're kind of limiting it. We're not looking for knowledge of stones, knowledge of the different types of wood in the forest, the different stars and galaxies and planets and solar systems in the universe. But our seeking of knowledge is no less important than that, is it? When we want to know about ourself, is that as important as how many woods there are or how many woodpeckers that are pecking the wood? I mean, what is really of any value when it comes to our being? That, that knowledge how many different grains of, of sand are on the shore of the ocean. So, we do want to look at this very, very, with, a, with some discrimination, and see if he has a valid point, and if his, his method of acquiring knowledge stands up today. So he begins at a very interesting point, and we will get there in a moment, with his very first uh, Anuchuda of, of the text itself, uh, number nine. Um, and I'll just go ahead and read it, and then I want to go over a couple more points. So this is his text in English. Four topics were suggested in the previous Anucheda. Okay, what were those four things? Those four things were the true object of knowledge, Krishna, the supreme, um, the supreme self, and. Uh, 
we're looking for the nature of self. So, four topics were suggested in the previous Anucheda. Sri Krishna is the subject, Visaya, the connection between him and the words describing him, Sambandha, service to him, turning of all faculties towards him, Bhajan, as the recommended process, Abhideya, and pure love for him as the ultimate goal, Prayojan. Now to understand these four, we should first determine the means of acquiring valid knowledge, Pramana. Then he goes on to say, Human beings are bound to have four defects. They are subject to delusion, they make mistakes, they tend to cheat, and they have imperfect senses. Thus their direct perception, inference, and so forth are deficient, especially since these means of acquiring knowing cannot help them gain access to the inconceivable spiritual reality. So he's made his point. We're searching for knowledge and this presentation is searching for knowledge in relationship to that supreme personality because we are looking for ontological knowledge, the nature of our being, and if we're going to understand our being, we need to understand our source. So that is going to be our be our objective. Our objective, our Visaya is Sri Krishna. And in the last verse, Sri Krishna was put forth in different manifestations. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Samjate. And the method of the methodology of understanding the self the nature of our being is is in that understanding, in that verse that he described as his seed verse for the Tatvasandarva. That we have to have a knowledge of relationships, we have, a, have to have a valid process of understanding that and applying that knowledge of relationship. And we have to have a goal that we are seeking in regards to that. So we, we, we ended the last class with a statement that could have been confusing. We said that one has to move beyond faith. Well, that kind of is, is that a contradiction? Because I've also heard another Goswami say it all begins with faith. But Jiva Goswami's not, he's talking about a specific faith here. We have to understand that our faith has to be based more on subda. The super, the sound potency of transcendence and 
that's that's not just normal contemporary faith. Um, it's a deeper faith. It's it's a faith in understanding the the supreme nature of sound and how it's not there's no distinction there uh, between the sound and the object of the sound in the conscious realm the sound itself is self-revealing self-evident it's transhuman So when we speak about going beyond faith and what will come out this evening as we proceed through the different methodologies of acquiring knowledge is Jiva Goswami's acceptance of Sabda, transcendental sound vibration, uh, is not just a faith in its validity from an intellectual viewpoint, but it is a recognition and a and a revelation of its innate potency in spirituality. The sound itself has the ability to turn our consciousness towards the true nature of our being, which is the objective. And that's, that's above um, the subject-object realm of duality which we are accustomed to. So in the world of duality, we may have faith, but this, this is not the faith that he is referring to. We have to rise above that faith, that we have an understanding based on the perceptions and the other methods of knowledge. We have to rise above those faiths, infallible soldiers, so to speak, and turn our faith inward through the utilization of transcendental sound, Sabda Brahman. So, Sabda, self-manifest, that in itself. A trans-phenomenal mode of knowing that can be known for certain only by one in whom it is awakened, and he uses the word actualized. It has a potency itself. Uh, Swami Triparari uses an interesting phrase at times. What's he say? It's not that we're doing bhakti. Bhakti's doing us. So that's what we're talking about. It's not that we are manifesting the sound. The sound is gracing us 
So, proceeding. So going forward from what from what's here in the ninth Anucheda, um, four subjects, Lord Sri Krishna, um, and then Sambandha Abhidaya and Prayojan. So we have to be free of doubts if we're going to move forward in any. Uh, epistemological viewpoint we have to have we have to have well we have to have faith in it don't we um, so some doubts may arise that we need to deal with in going forward in this study um, we may have doubts in our own capacity to follow and succeed to follow the process and succeed there may be doubts in that um we may doubt the process itself and its validity. And uh, we may doubt the worthiness of the goal. So these things we need to deal with and, and set aside as we proceed. Uh, we need to understand Jiva Goswami wants to establish infallible knowledge about absolute reality. That's the purpose of his presentation of the Sandarbhas. And now he proceeds to explain how Sabda is infallible. Transcendent sound vibration of Shruti, of Purusheya coming from the, uh, the transcendental realm, uh, but before we go there, let's look at our common, normal, everyday method of acquiring knowledge and its validity. And he starts with the fact, well, it's defective. Our means of acquiring knowledge by perception is imperfect due to the imperfections of our current situation, our human existence. So, he points out four defects. First one is Brahma. Uh, delusion, illusion. Uh, and that's in two two different parts. The first is the illusion of misidentifying with our current environment. So we're illusioned into thinking uh, through the lens of ego. We think we are this body. Uh, and based upon the level of ignorance that we are in, uh, that, that, that influences it to a greater or a lesser degree. 
It colors everything that we do. Is the fact that we're an illusion and we think we're the body and we, we relate with everything in the environment that we perceive through the through the knowledge acquiring senses. Uh, and the, and the, what came to my mind as I was preparing the notes for this class is stupid is as stupid does. How much are we in illusion about this? You know, well, as much as we involve ourselves in in our material predicament. So, um, the primary source of our illusion is association with our material body and circumstance. And we accept it as reality. Now, we've already covered pretty thoroughly the fact that The, this is a foreign. This is entirely foreign to our true nature, and uh, you know, if we are truly spiritual, satchitananda, then how can we relate with with the world of death, mortality, and uh, and accept it as of having any any significance? Um, so, misidentification of the body-mind complex is one type of our illusion, Brahman. And the other is a circumstantial, circumstantial illusion, uh, a mirage, a hallucination. It comes and goes. Whereas our egoic involvement with the body, that seems to stay with us. But the fact that I see water in the desert... That can come and go, or the fact that, uh, you know, I hallucinate something and then find that it wasn't really there. So, uh, delusions, illusions, they're of two varieties. One is a more permanent uh, misidentification. Uh, uh, it's certainly an illusion, and the other is, is a temporary illusion. The next defect that we have is pramada. We commit mistakes. We commit mistakes because we're not attentive. Uh, the senses are, are, are giving us some input and we're not attentive. So the knowledge that we're getting there is incomplete. Um, and There's also a misinterpretation of what we do experience due to our own temperaments, our own conditioning, uh, the perspectives that we have. We would also refer to this as our, our samskaras. So, we commit mistakes because we're not attentive and because we have impressions that make the knowledge that we receive uh, colored. The next is vipralipsa. 
misrepresentational bias, cheating. Uh, this comes in a few flavors also. Uh, there's conscious and intentional bias where we tend to, we ourselves have a bias and we have some objective in that balance to bias to deceive uh, uh, for self-service or there may be some malice in it. So we, we have a, a bias uh, in our dealings and that certainly can affect our acquisition of knowledge. Um, and then we also have an, we may have an unconscious uh, cheating propensity just because, again, of we're not objective. I'll give you an example. The scientific community prides themselves on giving us knowledge, unbiased knowledge. In other words, very objective, well, they call it scientific results. So when we hear that term, it's a scientific result, we immediately say, well, that's, that's written in stone now, isn't it? Must be true. But the fact is, how true are those scientific results? Who's paying the scientist? Does he want to keep his job? Does he want to be accepted by his peers? Does he want to go so far on a limb because of what he's observed to be true that in making such a statement, the limb would be cut off and he would be exercised from, the, from his profession? It certainly happened in the past. So that's also falls in the category of beprolipsia. It's a it's a tendency to cheat. I have a bias and I can cheat even in the scientific community. That cheating, of course, you know, spills over because then we have what we have today in modern society, a very, very unfortunate circumstance. And I can tell you some of my biases against the scientific community, <laughs> you know, where I would say, well, I, I'm a little hesitant to say that vaccines are good. I'm a little a little uh, shy to say that, uh, you know, Monsanto is, uh, is the best thing in the, you know, in the world for producing crops to feed the, uh, the starving population of the planet. Uh, you know, I have some reluctance in accepting everything that the government says to us. Uh, so I have a bias. I'd like, I'd like to be level-headed and and have a, a very uh, firm ground to stand on. But right now, the, the knowledge, if you want to call it that, knowledge, and we are talking about knowledge here, perhaps we shouldn't talk about, about 
this in the terms of that word knowledge. Because I think I feel a lot more comfortable calling it reality. I want to know what reality is in relationship to myself. When I hear the word knowledge, immediately red flags go up. Oh, really? They say they know, but they say they know. And the government says they know. And the, and, the, and the corporations know, and the bankers know, and the insurance companies, and the lawyers, and everybody says they know. But I found out of a lot of what they know, I don't agree with at all. In fact, I, I reject more of what comes to me as knowledge than I accept. So I, as a spiritual practitioner, feel a lot more comfortable about talking about reality, about the nature of the self, the nature of our being, and the hell with this term knowledge to, for me, because it's become a bad word in today's information age. I doubt if I'll be able to take it out of vocabulary during the rest of the discussions on these Sandarbas, but uh, I'm trying to get across a point here that when we come, we say knowledge and we talk about faith, what Jeeva's discussing is different. He's talking about reality and he's talking about uh, revelation in relationship to Sabda Brahman. To Brahman that is experiential as opposed to intellectual. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So, Vipralipsa Misrepresentational bias, cheating. You can't take that out of our human nature. The scientist is not going to tell you the truth if it's going to cost him his wife and he can't feed his, his life, his wife, care for his children, his job, his means of support. He may want to tell you the truth, but he can't. Yes. And it, it seems also that it's not even so purposeful. Like... You know, that we just have bias just because of what we have accepted as truth in the past. You know, it's not like a plot or they're trying and to that's what And that's what is brought out here, is that it's both conscious and intentional, that we, we intentionally mislead people and misrepresent things. We have a out of malice, um, with, a, with a desire to deceive somebody, uh, for self-service, that's one. And the other is, as, as you said, unconscious. It's there. Uh, and we may never not even recognize that we're doing it. Karnapatava. This one's simple. Our senses have a very limited range of inspection. There's the scientific community tells us that 
there's certain a certain range of 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 energy that we can perceive with our sight a certain vibration so between this 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 side and that side we perceive light energy but there are other wavelengths that our eyes won't allow us to perceive I have yet although it's a nice movie and a great comic series not many people have x-ray vision but x-rays are in that same field of, of energy of vibrating energy that the eyes can perceive so within within the range of of uh, light vibration I don't know what they call it scientifically but within that our eyes have a certain limited range our ears have a limited range frequency, frequency light frequency wave frequency same thing with, with hearing sound frequencies uh, we have a certain frequency that we can hear and the older we get, the smaller that frequency <laughs> goes along with us until we put a, a machine, uh, we add a machine to widen it again and plug the machine into our, uh, you know, into our apparatus for hearing. The little bones, I remember there's some bones in there. Uh, a drum, eardrum, little bones. Um, so we can't hear everything sometimes the dogs are barking at the top of their lungs howling and you're like what, what, are, what, are, they, what are they hearing they're hearing something we're not hearing uh, so our seeing our smelling hearing, tasting, touching these perceptions that are coming through the senses are limited they're of a limited range. So, we have imperfect senses. They're good, they're great, they work well, but they're not, they don't give us full and absolute knowledge. They give us a limited knowledge based on the capacity of the machinery and how it's working at a certain point in time. What one person says is blue, another person says is green. Well, that's interpretive. And Krishna mentions that in the Bhagavad Gita, doesn't he? Because he goes beyond the five senses. Uh, he goes to the, he says, and the sixth sense, the mind, which include the mind, the six senses. Uh, I have the verse here. I looked it up. So, With these four defects, Jiva is trying to establish the fact, well, by, by our perception, direct perception, uh, it's, not, it's, not perfect. it's not a perfect method of acquiring knowledge. Our, inserts, our, our, our senses, to begin with, are imperfect. They're not full. 
not absolute, not everything coming. We, we can't perceive everything with the senses. It's limited. So we have imperfect senses. We have a tendency to be illusioned. Um, and the first illusion is we, we associate with that which we are not. And the other illusion is, is the fact that we, uh, we don't always see things as they are. Um, we commit mistakes and we cheat both consciously and unconsciously. So how much how much validity can we give to direct perception? How much validity do you want to give there? Just a little. <laughs> Is it really truly absolute for perception of reality? So if we can see his logic, he can say, well, perhaps not. We have, there, there's, he's, there's something right there that the human condition in and of itself makes direct perception not the most, uh, the topmost method of acquiring knowledge. Yes? So it seems like it would be more sensual perception as opposed to direct perception, because we want direct perception, just not through the senses. Well, he's saying that the human condition in and of itself, we're going to get exactly into what you're discussing, yes, a little later here, but we want revelation, not what's available from our sensual uh, input, correct? Is that what you're referring to? Mm -hmm. That we want to have a perception, but we want we want a perception, but it's not going to be available through through uh, the senses, through the bodily uh, and the material energy. That's not going to be there. So let's look. He goes on, Jiva Goswami, uh, to this Anacheda. He, he goes through the ten pramanas that were accepted and are still accepted uh, in his culture at the time. So in his Sarvas Samvadini, that's his commentary on his tattvas, on the first four tattvas and darvas, he goes through all the pramanas. So I thought we should walk through them. They're interesting. Of course, the first one we just touched upon, pratyaksa, sensual perception, direct perception of, of our environment, from the environment. The next is Anumana, inference. Inference. Uh, although we may not directly perceive something, we, we, we make inference to, to what may be transpiring and consider that actable, you know, actable knowledge. Uh, we've had experience of a fire, and we know if there's a fire, there's generally smoke. So we see smoke coming up from the backside of a mountain and we say 
the mountain's probably on fire. So we, we take that as, a, as, as valid, a way of acquiring knowledge. We infer, based on things we have perceived, things, things may be happening. So we, that's another way of acquiring knowledge based upon inference. Anumana. Sabda. Well, Jiva's already said, Sabda is where I'm putting my, my method of validity. That, which is trans, that is coming down. It is, it is transcendent. It is, self-revealing. Nothing else is required to illuminate it. It, in and of itself, is sufficient to prove everything because it is, in and of itself, is the nature of consciousness. Jiva Goswami basically says, these first three are all that he needs he 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 categorizes all the other seven that we're going to go over as falling into one of these three categories. So the next one is arsa, and those are the statements of the sages, the sages and the rishis, and the devas. Um, For the Vaishnav, for those in our tradition, we accept that as a valid, valid knowledge, provided what? Provided it corresponds with the Sabda. So it falls under the category of Sabda. What comes from the Rishis and the Sages and the Devas, as long as it's, it's supported by Sabda, it's it's accepted as a valid form of knowledge. We're talking again about valid valid sources of knowledge for us, for the self. Valid sources of knowledge of our self, of our being. Um, upamana is another way that we can arrive at knowledge. You and I may are, are, have experience of cows. So, we may go to a foreign land, we may go to India, and somebody may explain, well, you might see an animal if you're in the forest that looks like a cow, but it's not really a cow. Uh, it's a forest cow. You can't milk it. Okay, so now we have knowledge, and if we see a forest cow, no udders, but it looks like a cow, and we say, well, that's what he's talking about. So we required knowledge by, by comparison, comparing something to something that we know about. So that, of course, would fall under pratyaksa for jiva. Well, it's based on sense perception. It's just going, somebody's explaining something based on their sense perception and comparing it to something that you've experienced with your personal sense perception. So it's perceived knowledge, but in an indirect manner. Thopity, presumption. We sometimes acquire knowledge by presumption. Uh, I know David Dot is alive. 
and here I am in his home and he's not here. So I can I can surmise that David not is David Dodd is not at home. David Dodd is just an example here. I'm at his house, I know he's alive, but he's not here. So I can assume he's not at home. So I'm assuming that's an assumption. It's a presumption. David Data is healthy. He's robust. He's he's not, you know, he, he looks but I've never seen him eat. I'm with him all day, he never eats. But he's still healthy and, and vibrant in every way. His, uh, his ribs aren't showing. But I've never seen him eat during the day. Well, I can presume that he eats at night. Because you're not healthy and, you know, <laughs> you have to eat regularly. That's uh, Arthapati. Anapalabdi. Abhava. Absence of a no, absence of something that isn't perceived. Indian logicians, they're 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 a step ahead. An example would be that there's a table, and by seeing that the book is not on the table, I know the book's not on the table. It sounds like word jugglery, but what really what you're saying is it's a valid method of knowing that it's not there. Is is perceiving that it's it's not there. I think this this one that you're talking about is like Prabhupada gives the example. You never see a frog at the beach; they're conspicuous by their absence. Yes, conspicuous by its absence. It's a way of knowing. So we're talking about ways of knowing. Sambhava, inclusion, it's a way of having knowledge. If I have a hundred dollars, then what? I have 10, I have 5, I have 1. So it's a method of inclusion. It's a way of having knowledge. I know you have $10 because I saw you with a $100 bill. Atithya, tradition. There's traditional knowledge. The example's given. If you go to New Delhi and see the old fort, people will tell you it was built by the Pandavas. But there's no proof of it anywhere. There's no scriptural reference, no Puranas, no Etihasas, no Subda, no sages are going to say it happened that way. But it's a tradition. It's a traditional knowledge. They built the fort. So when you go and you see it, people are going to say, yeah, the Pontifus built the fort. Where did that come from? That's what's being referred to. And the last is Chesta, gesture. Is that knowledge to everybody? Yes, and plus, I don't engage in deity worship, but you make gestures to the deities to invite them to do this. And to So different mudras are there. Those mudras express knowledge. Jiva Goswami says, well, if you really look at the other seven, all follow under what? Perception, inference, or sabda. So those are our valid methods of knowledge. In his commentary on this Anucheta, Jiva writes the following, Although there are ten means of acquiring knowledge, Subda is the primary process because all other means are made unreliable by the four human defects. The four defects touch all of the other methods of acquiring knowledge. 
but Subda is untouched. In all other processes, it is difficult for an ordinary person to tell whether or not the knowledge gained is valid. So this brings... What, what's happening here is we can extend this beyond Indian cultural, cultural methods. These are ten, you know, schools of knowledge, knowledge schools in India. But if we look, we can apply Jiva's comment here to all the other schools of knowledge. They're all tinged by the imperfections of the human condition. All of them. The scientists, the physicians, the, the you know, the biologists, the psychologists, so many different schools of knowledge. All thinking, well, I can arrive at school, I can arrive at knowledge by studying your dreams. That's my valid method of acquiring knowledge. For the psychologists, they have a school in their psychology. Say, dream analysis is a valid way. Well, how valid is it? First of all, whoever's relaying the knowledge of the dream has these defects. And what are you utilizing to evaluate the dream? You're, you, you, you're utilizing comparisons to other people who also are in the human condition. So if we look, Jiva here has basically universalized his ideal of valid knowledge. Does that make sense? Let's talk about the first one a little bit more. Pratyaksa. <clears throat> Direct perception. Pratyaksa literally means before our eyes. Before the eyes. A couple things about it. Well, it's only relevant to a certain point in time. Doesn't go past. Doesn't go future. Our perception is limited to this point in time. Can't go back or forth. Let's touch upon where you were going. We look at, it's based upon our input from the five senses and the mind. And Krishna mentions that in Bhagavad Gita. Bhamhaivamso jiva loke jiva puta sadhatana manasastranindriyani prakriti stani karsati The five senses and the mind. Prakriti stani karsati Jiva loke, the jivas in my material realm are limited to this to this realm of acquired knowledge. They acquire through the five senses in the mind. Now there's a pratyaksa in a higher sense. So let's talk about that because that kind of perceiving may have some validity. We need to look at it because that is also direct perception. So remember, we're still back to looking at three, three primary methods of acquiring knowledge. Pratyaksa, direct perception, anumana, which is inference, and sabda, transcendental sound vibration. Struggling very hard in material nature 
with the five senses, including the mind, is the verse for Bhagavad Gita. These living entities, who are my parts and parcels, Jiva Bhuta Sanatana, they are eternal, and they're struggling. Manasastranindriyani, with the mind and the senses, in my energy. Prakriti Stani Karsati. Let's look upon this Pratyaksa, though, in a higher sense as a transphenomenal mode of knowing. Transphenomenal, beyond the phenomenal, beyond perception and inference. Turning our attention towards our self and actualizing our latent potential within consciousness to know or perceive directly. Self-revelation. So when we look at Prakshyaksa, Jiva Goswami now proceeds to break it into two categories. Vaidusa and Avadusa. Vaidusa is divine perception, direct and unmediated. Mediated by the senses and the mind. And avadusa is sensory perception. Inward and outward are two types of direct prakyaksha. Inward, vaidusa. Outward, avadusa. Avadusa. Vaidusa prakyaksha belongs to God, his associates and perfected beings. This is the basis for sabda. So sabda is coming from perception also, but per- perception of those that are perfected by dusa. Well, if we're talking about those people that are perfected, and they're not God, and they're not eternal associates of God, then those other perfected beings that would be something that would be of interest to us, correct? We would want to know because we're going to go into a study here and we see that Bhagavatam is going to be accepted as the Praman and what is what is it? Samadhi Bhashya. It's based upon the Samadhi of Vasudev. That's, he's the author and it's based about... Uh, upon the samadhi of Sukadev, the speaker. So he heard verses and what happened? He immediately, it was something that, that transcended. Although he was already perfect. Let's talk about the perfected beings. Really? Oh my. Next class. <laughs> Any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you so much.